can be seated. Uh, can we just thank the, the worship team real quick just for leading us in that? Thank you so much. That was, that was really, really good. Well, thank you for being here. I, I applaud you. I appreciate you guys being here because uh, really you guys could be anywhere else. And I know we say that all the time. I say it every time I get up here. I think Adam says it every time he gets up here. But I do genuinely mean it. I really do appreciate that you were here. I'm thankful that you were here. Um, because genuinely, I think the Lord has placed something on my heart to, to share with people, and, and you're my people tonight to share with. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, I just want to open up and just be honest with you guys a little bit about uh, the last couple weeks for me have been uh, really rough. It's been a really spiritually challenging month for me, and so I want to apologize in advance. Um, I am not myself lately, uh, just because the Lord has been taking me through some very interesting challenges. And so... If I don't seem quite as, uh, like, rah, kind of Jesse as I normally am, this is because this is something um, that I've never done before. What I'm teaching on tonight is something that I, it's, I'm not going to tell you, hey, when I was there, or rather, you know, when I went through this season, but actually, I am currently walking through the, the exact thing that I'm going to talk to you about, so it's very emotional for me, it's very raw, and so I apologize in advance if I cry, that might happen. Um, but I just wanted you guys to just kind of have some ground rules as to why I might be a little different tonight. Uh, I'm just going to speak from kind of a different heart tonight uh, in that the last week or so, ever since Tuesday, I have been very, very emotionally stricken by what I'm about to talk to you guys about. The idea that I want to talk about tonight is surrender. And I know that no one likes to uh, hear that word. It's not something that I think has a good connotation with it when we first hear of it. And so I want to ask you guys, and feel free to just shout, what's the first thing that comes to mind in your head whenever I say surrender? Just any, any idea? There you go. All right. Anybody else? Giving up. Okay, that's nice. Let go. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the first few things that came to my mind whenever I consider surrender was failure, defeat, like lose over here, uh, and weakness. Those are the things that came to my heart and my mind whenever I considered surrender, but I, I had this issue that I hear it all the time. I've heard it in church my whole life. I've heard it from other people, and they say, just surrender your life to the Lord, but I have this kind of gross feeling about the word surrender, and, and so over the past few weeks, the Lord has, before I knew that I was going to be speaking on this, the Lord had been working on me and preparing me for this season. I have been taking, for the first time in my life, and I'm, I'm very, very happy to say this, I've been taking the opportunity for an accountability partner 100% serious over the last, like, three months, and it has been the most life-changing thing. Adam, who is normally up where I am, has been my accountability partner through some of the hardest struggles that I have faced in my life, and uh, I can confidently say that I have been 100% honest with him about that. And it's been challenging because I've had to sit in front of him and say, hey, I messed up. Or he's had to call me and say, hey, how you doing this week? How is it going? And I've had to say, well, actually, you know, I, I messed up and I did this or I thought that or I spoke this about someone. And it's been really challenging. But I've had to really kind of surrender my own pride in that and just be honest. Because that's the one thing that he told me. If we're going to do this, I want you to be honest with me. And that's, that's been a huge challenge. So that is kind of the precursor as to what has led me into the season that I'm in right now. And so with that, this is not going to be a crazy, fancy, elaborate sermon. This is literally, I'm going to walk you through what I'm walking through, and it's literally four things. And it's 
four, really four questions. It's what is surrender? What does surrender look like? Why do I need to surrender? And then how do I surrender? And that's really all it's going to be. And I hope that it impacts you the way it impacts is, is impacting me. And so for that first step, what I want to do is I just want to talk about surrender, what I have found out in surrender. Um, and just to put it in a simple phrase, and, and, and as we walk through, some of this stuff is going to be on the screen. Some of the verses are, some of them aren't. Um, but just feel free to jot notes. I, I love to see people taking notes. It, if nothing else, it makes me feel good. It makes me think you guys are going home with something. But so the first phrase is this. It's this idea that surrender is the act of giving up control by pushing past our fears. And, and I got to this, um, this idea by kind of by accident. I was praying with the Lord, and, and he said there's two main factors when it comes to surrendering. It's fear and control. And I was like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. He was like, well, the, the, re the opposite, re opposite reaction to surrendering is that fear enters your life, and then you try and take control to make sure that it never comes back. So fear is actually a catalyst in the opposite direction of surrendering. And so he told me, I'm not going to tell you that fear is not going to come, because that's not true. I'm not going to tell you that pain is not going to come. It's not going to cause you to fear certain situations. But what I can tell you is that if you decide to restrict yourself on what you control and push through your fear, that is going to be the true act of surrendering in a situation. And he started to talk to me about that, and it really, like, it just blew my mind because I, I've been trying to walk through that, and I'm trying to model that in my life. And to be honest, guys, it's very, it's really terrifying. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's very scary because every time I try and push through a fear, I recognize how much control I am trying to hold on to. And it is very challenging to say, okay, I'm going to not worry about this. I'm going to let go of this. And the last few weeks have been that for me, being honest with Adam and stuff that I don't honestly want to be honest about. I don't want to tell him that I'm failing. I don't want him to think that I might be messing up. Even farther than that, I don't want the Lord to know that I'm messing up. So I try and create this false reality that I'm in this perfect little area of surrender when really all I'm doing is controlling my environment so everyone else around me thinks I'm doing well. And that is really tough. Because the more and more I've walked through this, the more and more I realize the environment I've set up, one, doesn't help me in any way, two, doesn't help the people around me in any way, and three, it pushes me farther away from God. Every single time I fake facade that whole thing, that's what it does. And I know we're coming off a previous week, and if you, were, if you weren't here last week, please go online and listen to Adam's sermon on identity, but we really, really, he really drove it home, the idea that you need to recognize who you are in the Lord, not who you think you are or who the world says you are. And, and that was kind of a, a big deal for me. If, if you guys were here, you know Adam uh, politely had me read my list off on stage, which I did not know he was going to do. And so I did that, and then, of course, I cried in front of all of you, which is really embarrassing. Um, but no, it, it's, it's been the reality of that. I, I mean, one of the first things I said is that I felt like I was a fake, that I was continually lying to people by who I was saying I was. And so now I'm in this mode of I have to learn how to actually surrender. And so, so if you can get rid of not necessarily the fear in your life, but the allowance of fear to control you, you will begin to push into an area of surrender. So that is kind of the general aspect. So we have an idea of what surrender is. Is that fair? Can we all agree on that? Like, hey, we've got an idea of what surrendering is. Okay, cool. Awesome. I thank you for the feedback. And at any moment, if I'm not explaining something accurately, you guys can, I mean, you can raise your hand. Hey, I don't understand that. That's perfectly fine because I am with you in this. I am walking through the same stuff. 
So if I don't articulate it the best, tell me, because we're in this together, and I could use the help. So second question, this is easy, what does surrender look like, okay? I, I want to just, just directly go to the life of Jesus. That seems to be my default in teaching, as I always just want to, let's look at Jesus, let's look at Jesus, and that's a fantastic way to go, it really is, but the Bible in its entirety is something that we should look at as a whole, and I was led uh, by the, the recommendation of Adam, and I'm really glad he did, to evaluate a man who uh, is named Abram. Abram, Abraham, he eventually has his name changed to Abraham. And uh, I'm just going to jump right into the beginning of Abraham's life, and this is when he is Abram. And this is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. This is the first thing we see about Abram. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. The first thing that I want to recognize about this is that he doesn't say, hey, Abram, would you mind going to downtown Indianapolis and setting up camp and working for me? He says, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your friends, the place that you have lived up until this point, and I want you to go. I'm not going to tell you where. You will go to the land that I will show you. So right immediately in the relationship between Abram and the Lord, there has to be a complete establishment that Abram is going to surrender any kind of control he has on the scenario because that God's not going to give him the opportunity. You have to just go and you'll get there because you have to trust me that I will get you there. And that's a very key component that I want to say very briefly about surrender. When you start surrendering, you start trusting. That's, that's a correlation. You cannot be a person who lives in surrender without trusting, whether it's the people around you that you trust or it's God that you trust or it's yourself that you trust. Because the more and more you build that facade, at least for me, the more and more I build that facade, the more I realize I don't really trust myself. That's why I fake it. And sometimes I look in the mirror and I fake it to myself. So we see Abram has this absolute surrender and trust in the Lord. Fine, I'll pack up all my things, my wife, my family, my servants, all my stuff, and I'll just start going. And we'll just go until you tell us to stop. So there is one aspect of surrender that I want you to see just in kind of an action thing. If we fast forward in Abraham's life, which is actually the, the more in-depth area that I want to focus on, um, I, and it's a lot, and so I'm not going to put it up on the screen because there's a ton, but I'm going to read it straight from the word. Abraham, as it says in that one verse, is going to be a nation maker. He's going to be the father of the nations, and he is going to spread. God tells him he's going to be more more of his descendants will be on earth than the grains of sand. At one point, he pulls Abram out of his tent and says, look at the stars. More than the stars in the sky that you can see, that will be your descendants. And like he said, they will be a blessing. And so Abram is on this path with the Lord, and he's supposed to be in this situation where he is starting to be the father of the nations. But there's one issue. His wife, Sarah, can't have kids. And so Abram's going through his life, and he's trusting the Lord. He says, okay, I'm going to go. And so he goes. But you can't really be the father of the nations if you can't have kids. There's no way to do that, you know? And so Abram starts to go in and out of this struggle time of like, but I, how could I possibly? And, he, and he's getting older. There's a lot of years that are passing in this time. And, 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 and like it's, I mean, I'm not talking about like a couple years. I'm talking like 50, 60, 60 years go by where Abram is not having these kids. And, and, and there's been mistakes made along the way. And but the Lord remains faithful, and eventually the Lord comes to Abram and he says, at this time next year, your wife Sarah will have a son, and you are to name him Isaac. 
at this time, Abraham was 100 years old, okay? So I want you to just, just think about that for a second. If you were 100 years old and God came to you and said, hey, Luke, you're going to have a kid, my, my first reaction would be like, uh, you know how all this works, right? Like, I'm 100, bro. You know, things aren't functioning the way, you know, I, come on, like, let's be real. Like, my wife never could have a kid. I'm 100 years old. Like, come on, you know? But he doesn't. Luckily, Abraham trusts the Lord. And he says, okay, in a year from now, we're having a kid. And sure enough, as faithful as God is, Isaac comes. So now Abraham is just in this massive joy and, and Isaac is here, the child that God has promised me, years and years of waiting and, and aggravation and anger over not having the faithfulness of the Lord. And finally, Isaac is here. And then the Lord asked Abraham to do something that I am not a father, and so I cannot understand the entirety of this situation, but I'm just going to read it for you. But he asked him to do something very, very challenging with the promise of his life. And that's what you need to understand is that Abraham, the promise of Abraham's life was his son Isaac, the eventuality of the growth of the nations through his son Isaac. And so in chapter 22 of Genesis, it, it reads like this, and just, just hang with me here because it's verse 1 through 14. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your son only, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood of burnt offer, for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulder while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up a knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, an angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here am I. Do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Now, I realize that was a lot, but thank you for hanging on with me. The thing that I want you to see here is the total and utter, like, Isaac is it for Abraham. Like, this is the purpose of his life, to honor God through the thing that he said you will do. Go to the place I show you, and I will make you the father of nations through your offspring. And finally, he gets it. And then the Lord says, I want you to give up the one thing that I, that I know you have been waiting for all your life. And without hesitation, that's one of my favorite things about that verse 
is whenever he says, take your son, your only son Isaac, to whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, there's not a single hesitation. The next verse is, the next morning Abraham got up early. There wasn't a, well, but, no, I can't. Abraham lived in a state of surrendered nature to the Lord, that he wasn't going to let his prerogatives, his ideas, and his steps to get in the way of what the Lord said, even as challenging as it was as an idea to go and sacrifice his son. And so if you want to know what sacrifice looks like, this is what sacrifice looks like. It's un, it's unselfishly saying, yes, I will go without understanding how, why, or where. Yes, I will sacrifice my son without understanding why. I would do all of that because you're the Lord that I love and I have chosen to serve you. And so with that, there's something that I just, I want you to understand. We first established that control and fear are, are linked together. And they're always gonna be linked together. You can't change that. But like Isaac, not beating an eyelash and saying, yes, I will get up early the next morning and I will go and sacrifice my son. That is an example of him saying, look, it does not matter about the fear. The fear is not what I'm choosing to focus on. You are what I'm choosing to focus on. And it's that if sacrificing my son is what you want me to do, then that's the best thing for me. And that is a really terrifying sentence. It's terrifying to me because honestly, there's things that I want in this life. There are things that I wanna do in this life. And I'm not 100% sure that I'm not holding on so tight that if God said, hey, come and let that go, that I would. I've been walking through what does it look like to be a person who lives surrendered to the Lord. And I was, I was given this, this analogy by, by someone recently, and, and she was telling me, you, you have to take all of the gifts that the Lord gives you and hold them with open hands. And I didn't understand at first, but then the more and more she talked about it, the more and more I started to think about it, I realized everything in this life is a gift from the Lord. Everything. But even the idea that if I were to take this pen and just hold it like this, if God came to take this right now, he could, but there would still be some resistance as he took it out of my hand. But if I walk around with the idea that everything the Lord gives me is with an open hand, that at any moment he can come and take this from me, whether it's this pen or it's my life or it's a relationship or it's the job that has the awesome salary that you want, whatever it is, if you're holding it with an open hand, you're living in this situation where God can give you what he wants to give you, but if he chooses to take it, that's the best thing for you, and you're singing, yes, take it, Lord. I had, a, I had a pastor friend of mine say, this is really hard to understand, and you may not understand it for a long time, but everything that God takes from you is for your freedom. He said that, and I don't think that I still entirely understand it all, because I, being honest, I haven't had a lot of things taken from me in this life. I'm very blessed. But I know a day will come where something is taken from me, and I'm going to be shook to the to the core, and I hope that in that moment I can be like Abraham and I can say, okay, this is what's best for me because this is what, this is what you have designed for my life, and I love you in that. So if you want to know what surrender looks like, I, I point you to Abraham because his life is full of surrender. On top of that, there's one other thing that I want you to think about for yourself, and I'm going to use an analogy. I love analogies. They're an easy way for me to communicate. I'm not the best communicator so I like to communi communicate in analogies. And it's this idea of being a passenger on an airplane. I love flying. Flying is something I enjoy. It's never been a fear of mine. It doesn't bother me. Some people have fears, but 
when you get past the fear of just flying in general, I realize there's kind of there's kind of two passengers. There's a person who uh, goes back in his seat and he's like, oh, the pilot's got it, no big deal. I just want my peanuts and my free drink. You know, there's that person. And then there's the other person like, uh, I want to know and make sure that this pilot's got his license and I need to make sure that he's going to fly us where we're supposed to go. And, and th- so there's these two different people, right? And the thing is, both of them are wrong. The person who just jumps in the, in, in the plane and was like, eh, he'll figure it out. That's the person who just coasts through their relationship with their Lord on their pastor's relationship. Or the person who says, hey, I have Christian friends, so it's good enough for me. They'll figure it out. At some point, they'll tell me, and I'll figure it out. That's not a life of surrender. That's a life of laziness. And that in itself is a type of control. If I don't know, then I don't have to change. Whereas the other person wants to get into the cockpit of the plane, and they want to physically fly the plane themselves. They don't want anyone to tell them where they can and can't go. They want to make sure all the security regulations are met and everything is fine. But that in itself is not surrendered. That's saying, I'm going to handle it, Lord, don't worry. And I, being honest, I'm the, I'm the second person. I, I like to get in and control. And I get in this rut in my head and in my heart of like, God, I know you love me and I know you saved me, but now I've digged myself in this massive hole and I have to find a way to get myself out. And that's just not, that's just not what Jesus says. He says, give it up, give it up. Let me take it. I'll handle it. There's a reality that I I came across that like I can be in the cockpit with the Lord and that's fine. That's the best place to be. But I'm not the one driving. I'm the co-pilot. Every once in a while, the Lord's gonna let me do my thing and I'm gonna be able to feel like I'm in control because he's awesome. He loves us. He wants us to feel good. But the reality is at any moment, he is the pilot and he takes over. And when you live in that security of like I'm completely surrendered and everything in my life is for you and you can take control anytime you want to, Man, I, I don't have that. I don't. I want that, but I don't have that. And so the next thing that I was led to is this idea of why do I need that, though? It sounds good. seems enjoyable, but why do I need it? Because, like I said, everyone says you need to surrender your life to the Lord. We see it in the Bible all the time. Surrender your life to the Lord. Submit to the will of the Lord. That's what Jesus did his whole life. That's what we see Abraham doing but I couldn't figure out why. Why do I need it? I wanna, I wanna jump back into the story of Abraham because there is a very, very important aspect of this story, and I intentionally skipped over it. It is right before God tells Abraham, in a year, you will have your son. And I'm going to set the setting, and it's, it's remarkable to me. I was actually just telling a couple of friends before about this. Abraham has this opportunity where he's outside his tent, and three men are walking up to him, and he recognizes it's the Lord and two angels. He like freaks out. He's like, you got to, if I'm in your favor, please, please stay here. Let me get some water. I'll wash your feet. I'll make you some food, and you can rest, and then you can be on your way. But please, Lord, if I am in your favor, let me do this for you. And so the Lord says, yeah. What you just said is accurate, so we'll just hang out under this tree, and you do what you want to do. And so he's sitting down with the Lord, which is amazing to me, and, and he's having this conversation, right? And this is what happens. Um, this is, I'm sorry, yeah, this right here. So this is Genesis 18, 13 through 15. Then the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? 
is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. See, God told Abraham outside of the tent, away, but where Sarah could hear, in a year, your wife's gonna have a kid. And Sarah laughed at the idea. And she told herself, there's no way. I'm over 100 years old. It just doesn't work that way. And she laughed. But Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But the Lord responded and said, yes, you did laugh. And I point this part out because this to me is the most pivotal thing. I am Sarah. I am afraid. I'm the one who's lying. And it's, it's really easy to do that because I'm in the tent away from the conversation. And there's a chance that maybe Abraham didn't hear me. So I lied. And I said, I didn't, I didn't laugh. See, what happened to Sarah was just she was put in a vulnerable state where she was in front of the Lord and she did not believe what he was saying. And so she lied. And I love that the Lord just like calls her right out like, yes, you did. Yes, you did. It's okay, but yeah, you did. You laughed. And that's fine because in a year, I'm going to come back and you're going to have Isaac. And the thing about this is, This is the part that's hard. See, the last two weeks of my life, I have been revealed to the idea that I am Sarah. And I have been revealed to the idea that I am weak. But the thing that struck me the hardest and the thing that just like seriously has kept me up several nights is the idea that I have not once until Tuesday this week felt strong. I called Adam on Tuesday this week after work, and I said, dude, there is something wrong because I am constantly vulnerable. I cannot sleep. I cannot eat right. I am inside. I feel exposed, and I am vulnerable, and I am raw, and I, I think people were looking at me, and I don't know what is going on. And we started to examine what it was I was reading and what I was studying and the season I was going through of being honest about my failures. And the thing that is the most terrifying to me out of everything I have said to you is on Tuesday, I realized that maybe being vulnerable is strength. I'm sorry, I'm all over the place with CG, but I'm gonna jump ahead to the 2 Corinthians verse. I don't know if I put that in there or not. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Adam sent me that like six hours after that. And I got so terrified. I got so terrified that I have lived 28 years on this earth and it is just now hitting me that I have not been strong one single second of it. And I have not been sleeping because I am so terrified that I am not relying on the Lord the way I'm telling people. I am standing on this stage in front of you and it doesn't make me any better than you. It doesn't. But I have stood up here in a position thinking, thinking that I could be an example. And the only reason I get to be an example is, for the, is because of the Lord and the way he allows me to. But on Tuesday, I realized I stood up here a lot of times, whether leading worship, whether teaching, opening or closing a service. And I thought, man, I am doing good. I can handle this weight. But I wasn't holding it. He was. And it was only because his grace is so sufficient that in my strength, he was keeping me strong. But on Tuesday, I got knocked on my butt and I felt like my heart was open. 
the entire week I walked around and I thought people were like looking at me and judging me and just like, it was just, oh, so unbelievable. But the thing that is so, like so overwhelmingly exciting to me is also, yeah, vulnerability is really weird. It is, it feels awkward. It's like, it's, 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 the best way that I can describe it is like, have you ever been in a situation where like you think someone knows something about you that you, that you don't really want them to know, but you're not 100% sure. So you're like, you know, tiptoeing around the conversations and you're like avoiding that person or like you're talking to friends of that person to try and figure it out. And you feel like you have to like navigate a, a conversation on two levels to see if they know, but you don't want to give up too much because then <laughs> you might tell them. It's just like, oh, it's just, oh, it's awful. I hate it. I hate being vulnerable until now. Because until I get to the point where I live in a perpetual state of vulnerability and the understanding that the only reason I can stand, the only reason I can draw breath, the only reason anything on earth happens is because God says so, then I operate in a strength that's not mine, but it's of the Lord, of the God who not only created me, but he continues to make my heart beat, he makes my lungs go in and out, and I can stand in security and tell you I am not the one standing here, the Lord is. And in that... Vulnerability is not so bad. Vulnerability is really, really, really not so bad. It's not fun. It's, fear. It's, it's riddled with fear. I'm going to be honest. It's riddled with fear. I have been crying like crazy all week this week because I've just been telling the Lord, I just don't want to do that. I don't want to. I don't know. Uh, a different way. A different way. But the only way to get through this is to decide, you know what? Vulnerable is full of fear. I'm open and I'm exposed and there's a risk and I might get hit. But if I let that fear continue to drive me, I will walk in a weakness that I cannot measure for the rest of my life. And I will go around acting like I'm strong. And I just don't want that anymore. I don't, that's just not something that I, can, that I can use going forward for the Lord. So with that, we now know why we need it, because we are weak. Whether we choose to say it or not, we are weak. And whether you want to accept it or, or drop the walls and just be real about it, I don't care. I'm telling you right now, you are weak. But that's okay. That is okay. There is a God who wants to pick you up and hold you and maintain you. And so with that, I want to just leave you guys with a few things. The idea of how do I surrender? How do I get there? And these are not complicated things. And if the band wants to, they can come back up now. These are very, very, very simple, simple things. And the first one is get weak. Get weak. I know it feels weird. It doesn't feel right. But some way today, find out where you're weak and be honest about it. The reason I am standing in front of you going through the time of life that I'm going is because for some reason the Lord stirred in me to get real about my accountability. And I stood in front of one of my closest friends and I told him, look, I suck at this. And I am weak every single day, and I need you to help me. It's the reason I'm here right now. So get weak. I don't care if it's within yourself, if it's with an accountability partner, awesome. But make sure you do it with the Lord. I don't care if you don't tell a single soul about this. Go to the Lord and say, look, I struggle at this. Whatever that this is, and give it to him. Because the second you start showing him, I get that I'm weak, is the second he starts showing you, you need to get that I'm strong. The other one 
is recognize what passenger you are on the plane. And this is really, really easy. Recognize how you control your life. We don't look at it. We don't think about it. We don't, we don't let it enter our minds that maybe we are controlling things. But we are. So figure out what passenger you are on the plane. And then start addressing your control, addressing your fear. And start pushing through that. And lastly, and I, I didn't make a slide for this because I, honestly, I wasn't going to talk about it in this way, but start to practice holding the gifts that God has given you with an open hand. Very simply, just pick one thing and just for a week, just pray to the Lord. If you want to take this from me, then fine, but it's yours. As long as you've given it to me to operate in, I will operate in it. But the second you decide you want it to go, go. And this is going to be challenging because it's going to be things that you want to hold on to. It is. It really, it, and sometimes, I'll be honest, in my life, I have to pray those things and almost, I almost have to force it like I'm trying to convince myself. You know, I'm lucky to be in a relationship and it's been God-honoring all the way from the start. It's the first one I've ever had. I urge you that if you are in a relationship, make it God-honoring. It will change your life. But the hardest thing that I have had to pray to the Lord in all of this is if you want me to walk away until, until you make clear a path for her and I to step into a relationship of marriage that you have designed, until that day comes, I will walk like this with that relationship. And I will tell you, this is yours, it is not mine. And even, even when we get to the point, if we do, God willing, we get there, it's still not gonna be mine, but then it's gonna be my job, my responsibility. But until then, I don't get to take the responsibilities on of a husband. I don't get to take on the responsibilities of marriage. And so it's my responsibility as a God-honoring, surrendered man that I hold her relationship and my relationship with her as if it is not mine, because it's not, it's the Lord's. And that is really hard. I'm just being honest. I'm, just, I'm not saying that to glorify anything that I'm doing. I'm just telling you, you have to take the challenging topics in your life and you have to put them in front of the Lord. It doesn't mean he's gonna take them, but I can guarantee you that if you don't offer them up, if he does want to, it's gonna be painful and it's gonna be hard. And it's not the way he wants it. He wants you to operate in an understanding of surrender to him and everything that you do because then you will get to live free. It feels weird. You know, we talked about surrender at the beginning of it being, hard, it's, you know, it, it losing, it, you're, you're gonna have pain, you're gonna, it, it doesn't feel good, but I'm telling you that surrendering your life with Jesus is the best thing for you. You will surrender into freedom. That does not make any sense on this earth. But I can tell you, I am standing in front of you, a man who feels really, really broken because of a realization he had six days ago. But in my brokenness, I am so amazingly free. I have so amazed, like I have confessed so much more sin in the last six days. And I've got lots of it. I'm not gonna stand up here and tell you I don't have lots of it. But, but for the first time in my life, I am actually legitimately laying it on the table, confessing it to the Lord, and I'm walking away. Because if I hang on to that sin, if I hang on to that fear of what might come next or the next mistake I might make, I'm gonna continually control my situation, always holding on. And I can't do anything to change anything. I can't. Everything on this earth happens for one reason and one reason alone, and it's because God says it does. So with that, I'm just gonna close in prayer. And we're going to get back into worship. And I pray that you take this moment. I don't care how you do it. If you want to stand, if you want to sit, if you want to go out in the hall and scream, whatever you want to do, this is your time to talk to the Lord. How do you want me to surrender my life to you today? 
What is it that I'm holding on so tightly that because I'm holding on to it, I can't see you? Or because I'm holding on to it so tightly, I am moving away from you? Father, I thank you so much for tonight, Lord. And I thank you for the people in this room who have been so generous and loving to listen, Lord, to your word. Lord, as we all enter into this time of worship, I just pray that you soften hearts, Lord, and you open up ears. Lord, please, please, please open up ears, Lord, to hear what you are trying to say to them so that as they move through this time, Lord, they can be candid and honest and open with you about the realizations that they are infinitely weak and the only way to not be weak is to accept it and go to you. Lord, I thank you so much for that strength that you are so graciously and openly giving that, Lord, if we just choose it, if we just say, Lord, I am so weak and I cannot do this without you, that you will come rushing in like the lion of the tribe of Judah that you are and you will save the day and you will, and you will give us the perseverance to continue to move forward, Lord. Not that the pain will stop, Lord, but that we will have a reason to push through, a reason to sacrifice the things that we are holding in our controlling nature to you and live a life of honest surrender. Lord, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and it is all in his name that we pray.